Welcome to Cerebronas. I'm Cynthia, and this is a Chiquita Sode on applying to law school. We're usually two Latinas from working class immigrant families navigating law school and bringing y'all raw, critical analysis of the law, current events, and personal politics. Why? Because we want to break down barriers set up by elite institutions and democratize knowledge. So this week, because Yvette is off studying for the bar, I have the great pleasure of having my good friend Lincoln Mitchell. What's up? <laughs> on the show with me. Lincoln, do you want to say a few words about who you are and where you come from? Sure. Um, so I'm born and raised in Oklahoma. The very exotic <laughs> Rural Oklahoma. Um, yeah, no, born and raised in Oklahoma. Um, went to Yale for undergrad. Um, after I right, studied political science and African American studies, graduated in 2015, and then I was teaching English in Bogota, Colombia um, for a year, and then I came to Stanford Law School with uh, Cynthia. Yeah, and we're both spending the summer here in New Orleans, so I, we get to see each other and support each other through public defense work. So, Lincoln, people have a ton of questions about how to apply to law school. It's a daunting process. Just off the top of your mind, what do you remember the most about going through the process? Was there something that, I don't know, that just really stood out to you? Um, yeah, do they know I'm black? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I'm also, I'm also black, African-American, et cetera, et cetera. What was daunting about the law school process for me? I think just like how many steps I had to go through mm -hmm. um, between getting recommendations, between filling out kind of the the more technical components of the LSAC, the online um, uh, application look, process, yeah. and then also writing the personal statement and then taking the uh, taking the LSAT. So just all of it. All of it. Yeah, I think it was just like <laughs> starting out ahead, I was just like, there's so many small and large hurdles I have to get over. Um, and they seem to be drawn out over you know a long period of time. It wasn't yeah. like it was like a, a month long hustle. It was going to be, you know, six or eight months. When did you decide you wanted to go to law school? I decided I wanted to go to law school actually my sophomore year of college when I was um, interning actually here at the New Orleans Public Defenders. Oh yeah, I forget you did that. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, a, it was a place where I felt I fit in in terms of my political beliefs, my um, religious beliefs, my social beliefs. Like it was just a high energy, really enthusiastic and uh, powerful place to work um, mm -hmm. that was committed to using the law to connect to communities that normally don't have access to the law and access to justice. That makes sense. That's super formative. I'm glad you had that experience. Okay, so we're going to give tips on applying to law school. We're going to break down all the different components of the, the, law school pro the law school application process based on questions I received through Instagram. And so I just want folks to know that like this isn't comprehensive. This isn't the end-all, be-all. Definitely still look up stuff. Ask more questions if you need to. But this is just based on what seems to be like what seems people aren't getting answers to based on existing resources. And I agree. I don't know if, Lincoln, you felt this way, but I felt like a lot of advice I would get was so based on like a white male mediocrity yeah. kind of standard, not Absolutely. based on me. Absolutely. So it's just all this advice was never relevant. So let's keep in mind that people of color, for me, women of color, when we're talking about this, but with the caveat that personally... I went to an, a small liberal arts college that is ranked fairly high. It's like, I don't know, it's like in the top 18, top 20 each year. And so I feel like, you know, my experience is going to be filtered through that. So just keep that in mind. If I say something that you feel like doesn't apply to you or doesn't, you can't relate to, you know, maybe it's coming from that. Maybe it's coming from different life experiences. So, you know, take what works for you. Take what you can build off of. But, you know, the rest, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Yeah, and and the same goes for me. I mean, I went to Yale, um, and I'm also not from, like, a low-income background, so there's some experiences that might have informed my considerations both after undergrad um, and also when I'm applying to law school that might not be of uh, relevance uh, to you guys. So really, what take, take what works for you guys, and if it doesn't, then toss it. Yeah. So let's start with what seems to be on a lot of people's minds, the GPA. And we're... Okay, I, I'm comfortable saying this. My GPA graduating from Grinnell was a 3.57, I believe. It might have been, that might have been my last quarter. I think overall, maybe it was like 3.55 kind of thing. And so that, that was my number going into law school. But Lincoln, do you think that having a low GPA, like 
we're talking from the, the numbers that I saw, I saw from, you know, 2.5 to 2.7 to like a 3.3. Do you think that that is in and, of, in and of itself makes it so that you can't go to law school? I definitely think it doesn't. I think how I've seen or it has how it has been explained to me is that you really are playing numbers games for two parts of your application, your GPA and then your LSAT score. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have a lower LSAT score, then it helps if you have a higher GPA. Um, if you have a lower GPA, it helps if you have a higher LSAT score, just because these are what schools are going to be looking at um, when gauging, you know, what performance are you going to be able to bring to the table when we admit you? Yeah, and I agree. And I think the only thing I would add to that is I've also heard the further away you get from being in undergrad. So if you're applying five years out, three years out, six years out, your GPA matters less because it's a less accurate prediction of your skills, right? Of your academic skills, because it's no longer current or accurate. So that's something else to keep in mind. If you're applying further out, your GPA starts to mean a little less. And I don't know if you heard this advice, but I know some folks will, would like when they had, for example, something that was really hard for a year that brought down their GPA for a quarter or a two quarters or a year, they would provide their GPA minus that year in like an addendum to show people like, hey, when things in my life allow me to focus on my academics, this is my performance. I get these kinds of grades. And so if that's the situation with you, like the diversity statement or an additional addendum, like that's exactly where you can put it in and explain that situation. So I know some of y'all wrote in saying that your advisor told you to not even try. It's not even worth it. That's just not at all true. Also, letters of rec, right? Yeah, like, huge. Because if your GPA is low, but you have an excellent letter of rec from your like professor saying, hey, yeah, I see that the student has a low GPA, but this isn't accurate. I feel like that can go a long way. It can. And, and from speaking to at least um, a few admissions officers, um, I feel that admit law school admissions is also moving away from the quantitative numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you do have a low GPA and even if you don't, you know, knock the LSAT out of the park, um, if you've done cool things in undergrad and if you really package yourself as a complete story that's committed to doing the law or even better something within the law. I know some people mentioned that they were interested in immigration law. Um, you have some people that are interested in, in criminal law. If you can point to, you know, activities from your sophomore year to your junior year to your senior year to like what you did after college that say, hey, you know, this person is really interested in criminal law, then law schools are going to say, okay, you know, even if they don't have the LSAT or even if they don't have the GPA, this is still a student that's going to contribute to our, our community. Also, I'm just thinking about this, but like kind of what you're saying, your your work product is kind of what you're speaking to you if you're like keep in mind like if your gpa is low make sure you have zero fucking typos in that application oh, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. make sure absolutely all your sentences make grammatical like sense like even though i fucking hate grammar even though i hate all these yeah. rules like there's times when you need to play the game and there's times when you you just need like to not right? right like for example when you're called in for a jury service you play the game you pretend like you can follow <laughs> the law and like you have no opinions on life sentences so that you can get on that jury <laughs> okay so <laughs> when you're applying to law school you play the game you dot your that. eyes you know you cross your teeth <laughs> everything perfect so make sure that's another way you can show it's like look how tight my fucking writing is absolutely okay even though grammar's racist, but... Yes, I agree, 100%, <laughs> but there's a time and place. Facts. Okay, so Lincoln, how did you approach the LSAT? Yeah, so um, I was... First of all, from the jump, you guys got to understand, like, this... LSAT is uh, just like a criminal enterprise. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> draining... <laughs> just draining bands from your pockets. Because um, you got to pay for the test, and then they start selling you on books, and they start selling you on tutors, and then you actually have to... Before I forget, so oh my god, it's it's, I know it's you're a scam. Are, are you talking about when you get fee waivers and then, or you have to pay to send your LSAT score to school? Exactly, that's it. So this is the sneaky part. Uh, I want to say it now, even though we're not exactly on it, just so I don't forget. But basically, even if you get a fee waiver from a school, that only waives like one of the fees, but you still have to pay like a thirty-five dollar yes. processing fee or something like that. Bullshit. This yeah. Is online. What? How, why does it cost you thirty dollars to fucking sit, click send? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so just like, anyway, the whole thing with the LSAT is just, that's the beginning of the financial finesse on, on behalf of the <laughs> LSAC or whatever it's called. Um, so I self-studied 
I when did you start? I started. <laughs> I was acting actually a little bit of a fool. So I was. I said I signed up for the June test. Um, started studying in, in May because I was taking it right after I graduated college. Okay. Um, and then, but like it was senior week, and then like you know uh, <laughs> it was graduation, and it was like all my homies were there, and I was you know. Um, I was out there, so, <laughs> so, so um, I ended up having to like postpone the test. So I studied really intensely, though, from May to June, decided I wasn't scoring where I wanted to score, um, postponed the test to, uh, I guess, the fall one, which was October, or so, end of September, October, I think. Um, but I basically put down my books between June all the way to end of, like, end of July. So then I picked it back up and studied all of August, all of September, and then took it in, in October. So I think in total, I studied about three months pretty intensely. I actually wouldn't recommend doing that. I think it's better just to like <laughs> pace yourself. My friends that pace themselves, like we're still able to have fun with their friends and like go to movies and like travel and stuff and like weren't just like, you know, stressed out messes. Mm -hmm. So I think if you can do it over a longer period of time, but I have heard of people pulling it off in as little as a month. And what books did you use? Oh yeah, that was the other thing. So basically I really struggled with logic games. Um, so the only book I used, um, Honestly, I don't think it matters. I can't. I can't even remember what book I used, but I do remember using a book for logic games. Oh wow! And it's I real specific. <laughs> I, well, I didn't use it for like logical reasoning or anything else, mm -hmm. um, because I think. So every, what were you doing when you were self-studying? I was just taking tests. Oh, just practice. Just, tests. Yeah, just taking practice tests. The reason why I would recommend getting a book for logic games is I feel like the other sections during your time in college, you would have encountered kind of that thought process. Whereas logic games, I mean, I was a political science and African-American studies major, so I didn't do like econ or all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been avoiding science classes since uh, my freshman year of high school. So like all that like, like quantitative analysis, um, I was just trash at. Um, so that's why I would recommend getting a book, just because I think it's a, it's a kind of a more unnatural way of thinking. Um, mm -hmm. And the book does help. But it, really any book, Maybe like Blueprint or something. I don't, is there a book called Blueprint? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I would, I would recommend getting a book for Logic Games. Okay, so when people have talked to me about, oh, should I get like a tutor or should I self-study? What I've always told people is what's worked for you so far is what's going to keep working for you. So it's like you've taken standardized tests your whole life. Like, do you always do well on them or do you not? Like, are you able to finish the test on time or do, like, do you not? When you're in school, like, you know, did it help to have a work, like a study group together because you couldn't like get, sit down and study on your, by yourself, you needed others to help hold you accountable? If you need others to help hold you accountable, then like get a tutor, you know, the classes, they're really expensive and it's really yeah. hard to pay and you have to start saving up for them for a long time. But if they like, if you're able to increase your score a lot, a lot it's definitely worth it. But I personally wouldn't recommend anybody goes for a tutor unless like, take a practice exam first yeah. you like see where you're starting <clears throat> off at just so that you always have that score it's like okay if I took the LSAT tomorrow what would my score be and so that you can use that in terms of like marking your progress and and going up from there and then so yeah just like know yourself know whether you do well or not on standardized tests and then something I recommend this is a hot tip for all y'all still in college <laughs> so I didn't do I didn't do a lot of studying for the LSAT I have always done well at standardized tests. Like, that's literally my language. Gang, gang, gang. Um, but something that helped me a ton for the LSATs was my freshman year, I knew I wanted to be a philosophy major because I had read that was, like, one of the most helpful majors for law school. And so I took a symbolic logic class. Like, not just logic, symbolic logic. And, I like, I did well in it, so I became the TA for that class. And so every year for the next, like, three years, I was the TA, and I was doing that class over and over. Y'all, this is a finesse right here. Yes. <laughs> so, the like, symbolic logic in undergrad or lo even logic, if, you, if they don't have symbolic logic, that's literally the logic games. Like, it, it was just teaching me year after year, like, different ways to do logic and different ways to understand the logic games. So I, like, did, I, like, read a book on the LSAT generally, and then I took... So like some practices. I was just having way too much fun as a graduate, <laughs> as a graduate student in Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, so if you are still in school, take Symbolic Logic because that will be like a f not super free, but like a cheaper way of like start getting a head start on logic games. 
Um, just quickly on the the classes, like the, so, there's like you can take these group classes. Um, I can't remember. The, I think maybe the group class is called Blueprint or like Test Masters. Or there's like a Kaplan class. Multiple people have told me, and this has been since I was a junior in college to really to law school. Multiple people have told me that the main benefit of those classes is just that it keeps you on task. Yeah. So if you can t- manage your time and just hold yourself accountable, that's an easy way of saving a grand yeah. in this whole like process. But if you can't, be honest with yourself. True. Because true. Like you can, so this goes to timing. So you took it, so you took it when you graduated from college. Yes. And then you didn't apply until like two years later. No, no, no. I actually applied that fall. Oh, you so did? So I, I took it, I took it in October and then applied that year. Because I took a year off. Oh. Yeah. Okay. okay. Gotcha. So I took it also when I graduated from college. Uh-huh. I did it that like in September. So I studied over mm-hmm. the summer and I didn't apply until a year and a half later uh, okay. and I recommend that timing because yeah. I've seen people who are like studying for the LSAT but also trying to like start writing their personal mm. statement and like their diversity statement and having that like back to back I feel like is really stressful uh, so if you know you want to go to law school and I always recommend taking time off between law school and and like between Ooh, yes. law school and undergrad so 100%. The LSAT, take it right after undergrad. I think you will be doing yourself a favor. If you don't, it's no big deal. It's totally fine. You can do it. But just if you can make sure that you're not applying to law school right after you just took the LSAT, you're just going to give yourself room to retake it if you need to. And you're going to give yourself more space to focus on the actual law school application materials. So I think we... Oh, the books I bought, I'll just add this, uh, were the Bible. It was called like... The Bible on LSAT Oh, games. that's the one I use, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It was good. I liked it. I thought it was... They were thick enough to, like, have a lot of material, I think. I didn't get through them, but I thought they were good. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's the LSAT. But let's move on to what I think is more important, the resume section. Because um, you do submit a resume, yeah. right? Yeah. And now nobody asked about the resume specifically, but I feel like a lot of y'all were talking about it in different ways. So I'm just going to read this question out loud because I think it's, it's, it's a good one. So, hi, I saw this post and was wondering if you could offer some advice about pursuing law school. I'm taking time off to build up my resume. My GPA is not that strong and law school is something I'm considering. I feel intimidated by the whole process because I think I will not be a strong candidate. How do I better prepare myself? How can I get insight on whether I would be a good fit for law school? I'm a first-generation undocumented woman, and I am passionate about fighting for social justice and equity. So, Lincoln, any any thoughts? Just yeah. So I think there's two ways you can approach like this period where you're building your resume. I think one is looking at what you did in college and saying, okay, you know, is my story complete? I think if it's not complete, and what I mean by that is like, can they look at your resume and say, okay, this is what this person is really passionate about. Um, or these are at least two areas that this person is passionate about. I think if, if it is complete, then what I would actually recommend doing is trying something that's not law related. I mean, for me, it was, I've always been interested in education and the law. And for me, it was important to spend some time teaching um, because then I realized, oh, you know what? I'm really passionate about expanding access to opportunities and access to um, you know, security, but I don't want to do that through education. I'd rather do that through a different lens. And so I think one way of figuring out whether law school is right for you is to do something that's unrelated to the law and see if that makes you happy. Because look, law school is expensive <laughs> um, and law school isn't lit at all. Actually, wait, I saw Donald Trump use the word lit today, oh, so I'm trying God. to cancel that. I'm trying to cancel that word. <laughs> so law school, is not, law school is definitely not like a turn up. Um, so like, I think it, it's good to explore other, other areas. Now, if your resume isn't complete, as in like, if it doesn't tell one single story, then you might want to think about, okay, what can I do to show that I'm really dedicated to the law broadly or a certain area of law? Um, I think some jobs you could look at as being a um, investigator at a public defense office or working at um, an immigrant rights organization or working as a paralegal for like a public interest um, law, uh, uh, public interest law firm, um, or even being a paralegal at a firm, because that also is, will give you an insight to like, you know, what type of, you know, what, what area of the law, you know, piques your interest. Um, so I think finding a job that is legal adjacent um, whether it's you're actually working in the law or working with lawyers or partnering with lawyers is a good way of, of 
wrapping up that resume and presenting it as a complete story to your admissions officer. And that'll also help when it, when you're actually applying to law school if you're near lawyers, just being able to like run ideas by them, like run your personal statement by them, like yeah. having lawyers in your circle, which is something I didn't have until after college, I found really helpful for getting into law school. So how much, wait, how much time did you take off Lincoln? A year, but I should have taken more. I would actually recommend people take like, um, like three years, two or three, at least two. Yeah, I saw someone was worried in one of the messages about taking having taken like two to three years off and seeming like lazy. Yeah. And that's not at all the case. Like, honestly, I feel like it's more and more common for law students to be older, like 27, 28, than like straight out of college. I did a fellowship and I took two years off. And I, so I really, I like the fellowship program I did. Y'all have heard me before say <laughs> I did not like my fellowship office and the experience I had afterwards, there were some real gems there, but the, I did a fellowship and that gave me flexibility because it was kind of tailored to student, like recent graduates. And it was not something that I felt like was going to be full time. So it gave me a lot of flexibility to be creative. But I mean, like if you're, if you need to work, you need to work. And so you can do that. So if you, you're just trying to find a full-time job, something to help you pay the bills while you're doing that, that's fine. But just be efficient with how you're using your extra time. Like, like Lincoln was saying, your resume is building the story. It's like, what do you care about? Where do you spend your time? And you just have to be able to tell something. The fuller your resume is, the better. I saw only like a couple law schools that had a page limit on how long my resume had to be. I know I sent resume like like Berkeley a two page resume. <laughs> I was just like, they don't they don't say how long this has to be. Yeah. I sent them everything I had done as soon as I entered college. So like keep track of everything you're doing. And then the last thing I would recommend for like what how to prepare yourself as a candidate is try to find something that you really actually enjoy and feel passionate about that you can use to write your personal statement. I think there's a lot that can go into your personal statement, but if you can pull on your work experiences, on specific like issues you've had to work through at work or like social issues that have your work has been aimed at, I think that'll just make your personal statement richer. So, and the, I guess just to be clear, <coughs> yes, law schools look at what you've been doing in, yeah. your, in the meantime. They really do look at that. And I think for me, that made a huge difference because I was literally every minute of my day was scheduled and planned. Okay. The personal statement slash the diversity statement, because there's two different ones. So let's first talk about the personal statement. Lincoln, do you feel comfortable sharing like what yeah. your personal statement was about? Sure. So it actually is kind of related to your last point. Um, it was actually like such a blessing. I wasn't going to um, do like this internship after college, but I was trying to find a way to stay in New Haven. Um, and I knew I was going to be going to Bogota. And so I was like, you know, I want to improve my Spanish and stuff. So I was basically looking for any job in which would allow me to practice Spanish and also stay in New Haven. Um, and I ended up getting a job with Unidad Latina en Acción, um, which is a grassroots, um, uh, grassroots, I guess, community organization mm -hmm. in New Haven. And what they do is represent, um, well, the, they partner with Yale Law School, but they also just do rallies, do protests, like assist community members with any issues they're facing, particularly on their employment, I was particularly at their job. Um, and I ended up writing my essay about that. Um, and it was, and so how I would recommend approaching your personal statement is thinking about like, okay, what are the, literally the moments that have shaped how I think mm -hmm. or challenged how I think? Mm -hmm. And then I would honestly like just start your essay in the middle of that moment. So um, I started it, I started my essay talking about a protest rally that we were at. Um, I had friends that started talking about like a interesting um, court proceeding that they sat in on with their, um, with their job or with their community organization or whatever, but really just throwing the reader in the middle of your story and then explaining later why that story is important to you and why that story drives you toward law school is like a nice little three, three part attack plan for writing your, <laughs> your, your, your personal statement. Yeah. So in terms of a process, I think just starting writing, yeah might be like a good way to start like just write and see what comes from you and i think it'll be completely it should be completely different than what you first just like write free form or if you want to make an outline whatever best works for you but like use that to kind of build on terms of like what's coming to mind what do you want to say something i did loosely was i thought of like 
six things I wanted the law school to know about me. And I thought about like, okay, in those, like those six things, where am I communicating? And so two of them, I was just like, okay, I want my letters of recommendation to communicate this. So I told that to my, my letters of rec- like my recommenders. I was like, Hey, if you could emphasize these two things, I'd appreciate it. And then the other two things I was like, okay, this will go in my resume. I'll make this clear through my resume. And the other two things I was like, okay, let's communicate this in my personal statement. So that's a good way of also kind of not trying to get everything into your personal statement because it is capped for some schools, not all schools. And for me, the what I wrote about, I wrote about times where I had tried to make a change, where I had tried to change something that I thought was fucked up and generally failed and why I thought I had failed. So like one, it was just like, okay, so I was able to like help all my friends take the SATs and get ready for the SATs by doing this. But after we graduated, that was it. Like, there was nothing else to help the other people who weren't my friends, the people who weren't in my class year. And then, like, the next thing was just like, okay, I tried to change, like, this policy in in my school, but, like, this thing didn't work out. And I think it's because it wasn't, like, into the law or didn't match the law or something like that. So I was like, okay. And so the next, and so it was just kind of building on each other. And it all came to the conclusion that's like, I need to change institutions to make things, like, work without uh, like people having to like be constantly watching it so it being self-sustaining and institutionalized and I like wove in some of my personal history into that because like I use those moments to talk about the things I was doing and the people who were in my life without having them be the focus it was just like I was giving those details to explain what I was like problem solving on that note what you were saying it reminded me of one of the questions here one of the um, the people who wrote in said at, was wondering if um, they you know was worried about being too radical with their beliefs, mm. and I actually think you know unless you're saying like I want to burn down your school, um, <laughs> I think like being really forthright about what you believe is is great and yeah. will separate you from other applicants because there's a lot of applicants that are going to talk about their passions, going to talk about um, you know what they want to accomplish with the law, but if your true personality can really jump off the page and like slap your reader then that's really what's going to carry you through the finish line although and i think and it's like this is building on not disagreeing and i think it's important though to not say things to be inflammatory for the sake of being inflammatory exactly like if you're radical and you in your perfect world you would be burning down these institutions but say that in a way that's thoughtful in Mm. a way that shows that you're not just saying this to get someone's attention you're saying this because you've thought about this and these are like based on the information you've seen based on your analysis this is the right way forward and like go through that lincoln when you were writing your personal statement i don't know if this applies to you but i saw a lot of people worried about like saying something that was too common did you worry about that at all like am i saying something that's like overdone yeah i mean i think if you ground your personal statement in an actual experience that's going to even if you do end up saying stuff that's going to be a little bit more common later on it still feels a bit more unique and a bit more personal because the reader is thinking about this comment in light of a story that only you could tell mm-hmm. yeah i agree it was honestly y'all i just want to say this so you know like you're not alone it's really disheartening to see how many like what the narrative in the United States is that so many Latinas wrote in being like, I'm just another like Latina immigrant, like daughter of immigrants. Like, is that an overtold? Is that like a trope? Is that a stereotype? It's like, wait, first of all, there's only 2% Latinas <laughs> in the legal field. So there's, I don't think we're anywhere near being yeah. a cliche yet. And also it's like, oh, fuck that. Like you're yeah. like, just because the media makes it seem like, oh, immigrants are only this one thing, only this one narrative. That's not true. That's not true at all. Your personal statement is a personal story. Like, it's whatever you want to communicate. So even though, like, 10 of us out here can be, like, the daughters of immigrants, we're still so different. And, like, the reasons why we are who we are are still so different. Like, if you ask me why I am who I am, I can point to moments, I can point to people, and you, no one else can. And the same things goes for everybody else. So just keep that in mind. You are not just a stereotype or a cliche. If somebody, if somebody rolls their eyes when they read your story, like that person is trash. Yeah, absolutely. Period. And you're, and on that note, I mean, you're choosing just as much as law school is choosing you. You're also choosing a law school because. Like, Law school is a very conservative institution in which you're not going to see really 
the law connect to the reasons you wanted to become a lawyer potentially ever during law school, or at least at least it's not going to happen during your one L year. So you might as well choose a school that's going to accept you for who you are and ex- mm-hmm. and like rejoice for who you are. Um, so I think letting that shine through, like what Cynthia is talking about, and you know, saying what is your story and what is your truth, regardless of whether it sounds it to you, regardless of whether it feels like it's a more common or not, like if a law school doesn't want that, then they're not the right school for you. Yeah. And then do you have any, I feel like this is like a political debate almost that's been happening. Do you have any thoughts on like whether students of color or students who have like experienced trauma mm-hmm. or other things should quote unquote sell that story for like admissions? I don't, have you seen this debate that's kind of like ongoing? Like where do you fall on it? Yeah. I mean, it's, I thought about it a lot actually, just because I think that like, even if you're not telling your own story, I think you're, you're te- if, even if you're telling a story in which you are a minor character, but it's focused on someone else. So in my, on my, in my resume, in my uh, personal statement, at, at some point I wrote a story about my first time here at OPD and meeting um, a, a, a guy who was um, one of our clients um, and just seeing him being incarcerated um, and him being my age, like my height and everything. And I've told this story and like how it has affected me and shaped, you know, why I want to be a lawyer. Uh, but at the same time, I do feel like it's commodifying that commodifying his story. Right. Um, and so I think about it both in terms of selling your own trauma, but also in a like kind of more disturbing way, like selling other people's trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I actually don't have an answer. I think how I think about it is I think you should say what you're comfortable saying. And if you're uncomfortable not necessarily if you're uncomfortable not because you're saying it but uncomfortable because you feel manipulative or something i think remind yourself of what you're trying to do through the law and and if a story has impacted you whether it's your own story or someone else's story and it has inspired you to do good work in the law then you should tell that story yeah so i got that advice from someone who i admire a whole lot when i was applying like right like you know you're writing about the right thing when it hurts Mm -hmm. when you're feeling that emotion and i think you know there's truth in that that like some very powerful writing comes from pain and from like that emotion and and so i want to clarify a couple things like yes it is like selling your your pain and it is like selling the story and kind of like when you think about who the reader is and the probability that they're white like it is all these layers but I like to think of it as like it's a way to let the reader understand you fully Mm. right because like our transcript our resume like that will speak for itself that won't give it the richness of like my life experiences so you know I think there is something to letting someone understand like what it means for me to be here and so the way I I managed that though is that I kept my personal statement what I felt like was more intellectual like with that with still giving some details of my personal life and then my diversity statement is where that for me like when I <laughs> this is super self gratifying like but when I read my diversity statement <laughs> I tear up you know because yeah. it's like I remember those memories and those mm. things and it's it, it like it does hurt but I do think like hey, like, you need to be able to see me for all that I've accomplished. And the only way you're going to be able to, like, truly appreciate where I am and who I am is by understanding those things that you might not get elsewhere. So it is writing for an audience. And if you're not comfortable, I mean, if you draw the line at that, draw the line. But I do think it's an opportunity to let others see you for all that you are. Because otherwise they won't know. So I hope that helps. Do you have any thoughts on the diversity statement? Yeah, I think I think I think we we covered it all. I think oh something um practically that someone told me actually um in your personal statement mm-hmm. um and maybe in your diversity statement have a line in there that says like I'm passionate about you know X Y and Z and that's why I want to focus on criminal justice at insert your law school. Like for every application you turn in, I know in undergrad they were like, oh, don't put the school on your application because it's a common application. And then, you know, you're going to send one school mm-hmm. to, you're going to send a, a personal statement for one school to a different school. But for law school, because you have to, even though it's a common application, you have you still have to like send it to each individual school, change each personal statement to have that school's name in there. That way it just makes it look like you are more focused on that individual school. Yeah, definitely your personal statement should 
all like should always at least answer why law school like you yeah. can have other stuff in there but make sure you answer why law school the last thing i'll say is like if you have addendums like other things you want to send in other like written statements like send them in like if yeah. they don't accept them they don't accept them but like you're not going to hurt yourself by like being like hi there's no place for me to add this so here i wrote this up like here mm. you go yeah. and then same thing goes for everything like make the make sure that these are tight and like perfect grammar perfect spelling, formatted correctly, make sure you have all the information in the headers that you need, your LSAC number, your name, the school, everything. So just keep those things in mind. Moving on to letters of recommendation. I'm actually gonna go first with this one. Yeah, do you really think, do you think, yeah, 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 do you think, do you think. <laughs> so for letters of recommendation, here's a hot tip. One, <laughs> in undergrad, kind of already have an idea of who you're gonna wanna ask, like who you did really well for and like their class or you, who you have a good personal relationship with, and then save those essays or whatever work product you submitted to them and like save it mm. when they've returned it with the comments, like scan that shit, put it on your phone, like put it on your backup drive, I don't care where. Cause then when you ask them for a letter of recommendation, if you're at a big school, you can say like, hi, I was in this class during this quarter, you gave me this grade and here are the assignments and the feedback you gave me on them. Here's what I did for your class. And yeah, and I would like you to write a letter of recommendation. Mm. I don't know. So yeah, and then save that shit. Also, I wasn't applying it for a couple years. And so I just went to my professors and I was like, hey, I'm going to go to law school. I don't know when yet, but you know, is it okay if I hit you up in like two years and ask you for a letter? And they were just like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Just let me know. And, and when it was time, I like had all my essays still saved. I emailed them my essays. I like set up a, a short phone call and spoke to them, told them my goals. Ooh, and for me, because my GPA was like on what I considered like a, a lower end, I, I wasn't sure where I felt. I just had no idea. I told them that if they could emphasize mm -hmm. that I'm a good student <laughs> and that I can write well. That's what's up. So I like, I was just like, hi, if you could just emphasize that I can like do well in classes, that'd be great. So that that's just like in terms of like a process, like yeah. just be on top of that, save your work. That's a really good, that's a really good strategy. The other thing you can do is um, if you've just graduated, uh, ask your professors for a rec now and tell them, you know, you're not going to be applying for a few mm -hmm. years, but like they can write it now and just save it for when <laughs> you're ready to yeah. apply to law school. I think with the letters of recommendation, again, think about like what story do you want to tell? Um, so for me, like I wanted someone to, because my um, personal statement centered around my summer internship with Unidad Latina and Acción, they, I wanted my supervisor to speak to like the work I would do. That way it's not just me vouching for my work. It's like someone else vouching. Um, and then I also wanted someone to talk about my writing ability and like specifically my writing ability as it pertained to uh, crap I can't remember oh I did my senior senior uh, I chose my senior thesis because that was like a senior senior thesis advisor because that was like a, a very long project and so that she could speak to like my analytical ability uh, my ability to write you know, compellingly about I was focusing on housing issues so my ability to write compelling about like housing justice and so I had like an academic advice, uh, academic letter. I had a work letter. Um, and then I think I chose uh, some other uh, professor that would also speak to another component. That way, like when I turn in my, when I turn everything in, it's like I have, you know, one core message emerging and multiple things supporting that message. Mm. I like that. I don't know if you disagree with me, but because some folks asked like how many they needed from undergrad, given that they were like a little further out from there. Yeah. And I was told that you want to have two of your three, because most places ask for, like, mm. allow three. Some places allow more. But most of the, mostly it's three. I was told that two of those three should be academic professors you had, just because, like, law school, like, like it or not, hate it or not, like, yeah. it's a lot of academic work. And so having professors be able to vouch for you was important. So I did have two professors write letters for me. And then my third was like my current work supervisor. Mm. If you're a little further out from undergrad, like five years or four years, like maybe you can get away with one. But I mean, I think about whether it's something you want to do. If your current work like involves a lot of writing or a lot of things that's like similar to academics, then maybe that's okay. But I, I would say you want to stick to two from academic and professors yeah i agree with that yeah okay so hopefully that answers it and the way oh also i always felt super bad like i still feel super bad when i ask for letters of rec because i feel like 
I don't know. It feels like a burden that yeah. I'm asking someone to do this. Yeah. But literally, this is part of their job. Description. <laughs> they get paid. I okay. I talked to this one white guy from my school, my undergrad, and he was just like, "Oh, he's like, I don't feel bad for asking for one. I expect my professor to write the best one they've ever written. Mm. I pay his salary, so he if I don't get into the school, it's on him, oh. and he needs to write a better letter. I I'm ki- not kidding. Oh no. So don't if you hesitate, don't even hesitate at all because it's gonna be good. Okay, so some questions on the value of law school and whether you should go to law school or whether you should do an online school or whether, you know, you can do things related to the law elsewhere. Okay, Lincoln, just generally, what do you think? Like, is it Uh, worth it to go to law school to be a lawyer? I I think if you don't want to be a lawyer, it's not worth going to law school. Again, it's super expensive. You're going to graduate, um, you know, people graduate with over 200K debt. It's, I always think about law school as like at least a, even though it's three years, I always think about it of at least a seven year process because you're going to put in those three years and then you can either pay off your loans by going to a firm. And, you know, the earliest I've heard of someone doing that was I think two or three, but you know, you can comfortably do that I think in four. So that means, you know, the next seven years of your life are going to be law related. Or if you don't do that route, then you can do like a public interest loan forgiveness program, but that's 10 years. So then like you'll be doing law for 13 years. So basically... I think unless you want to practice law, I don't think it's worth it just because it, you can do that with other degrees for cheaper and have more freedom. I think also it's the more you know about what you want to do in law school, the better. I think you can go in and kind of find your way, but law school is short and you only have a short time to build a resume. So I think the more you know about the specific area of law you would like to practice in, the better. No, I completely agree with that. And I will tell people if you're hesitating sure go talk to some lawyers get some coffee with people if you want read some books written by lawyers you know like just mercy like brian stevenson or or hip-hop theory of justice by uh paul butler like there's different books you can read to get a sense of like the impact you can make as an attorney but do not go to law school if you don't want to do it okay but something to keep in mind is there's so many ways to make an impact that is not a lawyer and i think Personally, I felt trapped and I felt like I couldn't make an impact or have a good job without being a lawyer. Like I just felt like people wouldn't pay attention to me. And now I wish I had just found other paths. Like I think law is gonna be right for me in the end, but there's so many other cool jobs in there. Like I even wish I had just taken like three more years off to like try other things, to build other skills, to like be more on the ground. Cause like once you're a lawyer, like try as you may, you can be you can be like a couple feet above the ground instead of being like in the sky in the clouds but you'll never get to be on the ground again like you'll just always have your legal frame and mm-hmm. your your lens and like you're gonna have to do a lot of work to unlearn the structure that the law imposes on you so i don't know i think yeah and if you want to go to law school online i don't recommend that and there are i did some research there are some places where you can do an apprenticeship for like four years and become and like then sit for the bar So I'll post a link to a good resource I found on that in case folks are wondering like how to become a lawyer without actually going to law school. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a very personal choice. So financial aid, Lincoln, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, So the big determinant, because I I knew I wanted to do public interest law. So the big determinant for me was like finding a school that would allow me to do a loan forgiveness program. So I'm paying for law school. Like my parents aren't like supporting me. So basically most of my stuff is loans. So when you're looking at schools, think about, okay, what type of job would you want to have afterward? And if you want to do public interest, see if that school has like a loan forgiveness program, Um, see if they have a partnership with the federal program, see what restrictions are on those. Something that is important to, when looking at these programs is like, uh, looking at the cap because some schools treat the cap as like a hard cutoff. So it's like, oh, if you make 65K, then we're not going to help you with your loans. Other schools treat caps as kind of like a, a taper situation mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, if you reach, say, 65K, you have to start paying a bit for your loans, but we're still going to subsidize those payments. The other thing on financial aid is like definitely pit schools against each other. If you are, say, you get into school A and school A is very similar to school B, um, send your uh, financial aid packages between school A and and school B um, because at the end of the day they admitted you so that they want you to come and especially as a person of color they're going to want you to come mm-hmm. um, 
So the more you can say, hey, I really like your school, but I'm kind of leaning this other way just because they have slightly a better aid package, even if those aid packages are different. Like, so for example, um, one school gave me an aid package that was three years guaranteed, um, and I sent that to Stanford, and I was like, hey, I know you guys don't guarantee your um, aid, but is there any way you can give me more aid? Because you know, I, n I at least know that if I went to this other school, I would have guaranteed aid for three years. So it doesn't have to match up exactly, but you can use schools to leverage um, your, yourself. Well, sorry, leverage schools against each other to benefit your own aid package. Yeah, and everyone's doing it. Literally, everyone's doing it. Just, it's uncomfortable to ask for more money. It's, I hated the whole process, but everybody does it. Like, everybody, even people who, like, have no need, people whose, whose parents are paying it, they're asking for better aid. So, just, yeah, just make the ask. And then I'll post... There's a lot of scholarships. There's a lot of different websites. This is something where if you want to see what's out there, what other resources are out there, go to our website, setabrones.com, because I'll post a bunch of links on there for you all to like explore and see what scholarships would be good for you. In terms of working during law school, I don't think like you can, there's certain work that you can get be, get paid for at law school, like TAing a class or doing research for a professor. But like, I don't know anybody that works through law school except like maybe one person. Yeah, I mean, you're not allowed to work your 1L year, so that's one thing to consider. And then most jobs, like, I had a job in my 2L year, but, like, it was, like, mostly just to have extra cash to, to spend. Um, I haven't heard of anyone who's able to, like, do a job such that they could pay for law school through doing that job. Yeah, no, I'm just going to be in a ton of debt. Also, just look up the financials beforehand, because I know a lot of students... I mean, I heard the statistic from a professor that like when they were on the hiring committee, about 80% of applicants say they want to go to law school for a public interest kind of career, but only like 15 or 10% of students actually graduate and go into public interest. So like if you look at that from 80% to 15%, that's a whole lot of people who are not going to be doing what they went to law school to do. And a lot of the times it's because they can't, because they've been like, they feel like they their hands have been tied because law school, like the loan repayment isn't going to help with undergraduate loans or there's someone they, they want to help support and with the debt they have, they can no longer do that on like a, a salary that's not like the, the super high one that we can get graduating from law school. So if that's, just think about that because like <laughs> lawyers have a super unhappiness like mm. statistic and I think it's because of that people don't end up doing what they want to do and then end up being miserable so just yeah. don't go to law school if you feel like you know at the end of the day I'm gonna choose a career that's not for me just so I can pay my bills because that's gonna be a lot of years off your life okay so some people ask about being undocumented. So if you're undocumented, as you've probably experienced a lot of your life, it means you're cut off from federal financial aid. And it means you have like a lot of aid that's out there. It's not going to be available to you. There are outside scholarships, which again, I recommend you look at the list I'm going to post. But um, in terms of sitting for the bar, so here's how it works. There's like six states that allow undocumented students and undocumented graduates to sit for the bar which means you can become a licensed lawyer, so then you can practice law, like state law, within that state. To practice federal law, which is different, and it just varies, but depending on what you want to do, all you have to do is be licensed in a state. So say, for example, you're from Indiana, and you want to go back to Indiana, and you're okay practicing federal law. You can sit for the bar in California or any of these other states, and then move to Indiana, but you can only practice federal law in Indiana. You won't be able to practice like state law so i hope that that helps and helps explain it again it's i i wish i had more answers but just there there aren't and with with everything being up in the air i know it's incredibly there's a lot of insecurity and there are people pushing for all for undocumented um graduates to be able to sit for the bar in all states so the work continues and folks are trying and i'm so sorry and that's really all I can say, but people have done it. People are doing it. And if you really want to do it, I completely believe you can do it. And it's just going to be like a lot of things would just have a lot more obstacles. But if this is you, please reach out and I'd be happy to help you as much as I can and point you to resources and read through your personal statements or whatever. Just let me know. Okay. Do you have any tips, Lincoln? And we're about to wrap up because this episode has gotten super <laughs> long, y'all. Y'all had a ton of questions and just shows how little resources there are. But 
for folks who are waitlisted. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah, so I was I got waitlisted a lot actually. Um, so one thing for if you are applying to law school, apply as early as possible because it is rolling. Yes, um, yes. They open in November. Like yeah. apply in November. Hundred percent. Um, if you're on a waitlist, uh, one of the questions asked about a continued letter of interest. I don't think that there's one way to write it. I think just write why you want to go to that law school. Do research beforehand. Um, that way you can highlight specific things. Know who to send your letter to, whether it's you know just the admissions office or like um, if you have a, if you have a professor contact at that school or a friend at that school. Like figure out like you know where is the best person to send this this continued letter um, to. Um, but that's really all you all you can do. If you do take that, someone was mentioning taking the retaking the LSAT. If you do retake the LSAT, I would say, hey, email the school and say, hey, just so you know, I'm retaking the LSAT to help my chances of getting in, um, and send that score as soon as you you get it. Yeah, and the only thing I'll add to that is nowhere is going to mention like, oh, send us a continued letter of interest. Yeah. And maybe some folks will, but I doubt it. So just know this is the thing people do. Like literally people will go to the school, do a tour, and then just show up to the dean of admissions office and be like, hi, I really want to come here. What can I do? So send those letters, show up. People are doing it even though there's no like, this is like the informal rules that people don't know about. And yeah, if you can also, you know, if you have work you want to do for another year, reapplying the next year and just being like more judicious in how many schools you apply so it's not as expensive is an option but that's only if it fits with your life schedule okay um then we had some miscellaneous i think we already answered most of them but lincoln since we're both kind of like immigration law adjacent mm -hmm. do you have any tips what do you what do you have to do to become an immigration lawyer uh well definitely like get involved with um campus organizations um and pro bonos that are around revolving uh, ever uh, involve um immigration i would intern so like i spent my first summer at the pro bono asylum representation project in south texas um and that was just like a great great way of learning more about the law um, learning more about kind of the work culture um, and learning more about like the national scene because each area of law kind of exists within like there's like a club in a way like there's like a club of cr criminal defense attorneys and there's like a club of immigration attorneys um, and these immigration attorneys all go to conferences in <laughs> in states together um, and know each other and it's like a little mm -hmm. circuit um, so yeah just as much exposure as you can throw yourself into during law school um, and also outside of law school the better you're going to know about like if this is the right path for me I agree. And I know someone asked about, you know, international students and having a valid EAC. So I couldn't figure out what an EAC is, but I know if you already are a lawyer in another state, maybe look into LLM programs instead of law school. But I really don't know anything about applying to law school as an international student, and I couldn't find that information online. So I don't want to misspeak, but you reach out to one of these schools and ask them about your options, they can give you more information. And how many schools did you apply to? Let's close with that. Oh, uh, I applied to, I want to say like somewhere between six and eight. And that was recommended to me by um, like a admissions advisor I knew. I applied to 10, but only because I got a ton of fee waivers because that shit was like adding up. Yeah. It was really expensive. Okay, well, Lincoln, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a blast. No, thank you for all your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Hopefully we have you back for another segment sometime. Absolutely, we'd love to come back. Well, bye, everyone. Be easy.